Hey everyone, welcome to a special Halloween edition of the Dan and Jeff School Show. As always, I'm Dan. Yeah, I'm Jeff. Uh, Joe, you know, we got to lead in with what's got to be the scariest story for a lot of people in your state. And it's uh, one that you and I had forecasted kind of early on as a possibility. And uh, that's, of course, Colin Hill has now opted out of the Mississippi State football team for the remainder of the season. So, big time Halloween scare right now for all you State fans. And no doubt, Dan. And I feel like this is a story that you and I had predicted was a possibility in the offseason. We talked about the fact that we did not make that Kyler Hill um, fit the Mike Leach air raid offense. And we had speculated that there could absolutely be some internal struggles in the locker room as a result. And you look at the first four games for Mississippi State, albeit they won the first game at LSU, but ever since then we've seen Kyler Hill's production go down each week. And most notably for me, he only on the season through four games had a total of 15 carries for like 58 yards. And this is a guy that aspires to be an NFL running back. No more running backs now in the NFL catch the ball like Alvin Kamara out of the backfield, but still, he just was not happy with how things were going. Yeah, Joe, I mean, we talked about how the fit wasn't really great there, and you got to think about it from Colin Hill's perspective. For him to show off as being a first round draft pick or even probably a second or third round draft pick. He needs to probably get in excess of 10 to 15 carries a game to show that he can be your number one guy in the NFL. And unfortunately, if he has an entire season where he's not getting that kind of production, it's going to really hurt his draft chances. And I can't really say I blame him for getting out of the season. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where the timing is interesting to me. Um, just four games into the season. I guess he could theoretically always come back and reserve uh, uh, another year of eligibility in college football. Although, with the headline that I read, it sounds like he intends to train uh, for the NFL draft. So, he's a guy that has immense talent. Um, seems like he's going to be on an NFL roster and probably perform pretty well. But to me, the bigger story for Mississippi State is what is the move for this team going forward the rest of the season? They started out with so much momentum, and now we see not only Kyla Hill, but at least two other players recently leave the team. And I thought it was troubling that Mike Leach admitted in a presser after the announcement about Hill that he did not even have a conversation with Kyla Hill when he decided to leave. I thought that was very surprising. Yeah, that shows kind of a lack of respect by Colin Hill for Mike Leach. And that does not really bode well for the team chemistry right there that your best player doesn't even think that it's worthwhile to talk to your head coach about the fact he's not going to play the rest of the season. Yeah, that, that to me makes you wonder, you know, how long will Mike Leach's tenure be in Starkville? I mean, granted, maybe, you know, he's able to recruit his own players, the type of guys that fit skill set of air raid offense and he can build a program that just recruits receivers that light it up, you know, on points up and down the field. But I still always wondered with the Mike Leach hire how his style would not only work with Kyle Hill, but work with Mississippi State especially. Because Mississippi State has always been the type of team that wins games ugly, you know, to put it 
yeah, I mean, you know, really Ole Miss has kind of been finessed for a long time, so it doesn't really seem like as much of a culture shock up there. But you're right. I mean, when you think Mississippi State, you think about a long line of pretty solid running backs that are three yards in the cloud of dust. I mean, outside of Dak Prescott, there aren't any other quarterbacks that have ever really made it in the NFL. They've never been a prolific passing team. And even if you look at Dak Prescott's uh, tenure at Mississippi State, they were still more of a run-heavy team and with more predication on the quarterback run. So, you know, it's just really not in their history right there, and it's kind of starting from scratch. So, I mean, I think we need to be fair to Mike Leach in that it's going to take him a while to get his style of players in there and maybe bring in the right kind of culture. But it's a really terrible look right now to lose probably the biggest level recruit that Mississippi State's had in a while and the best NFL talent that I can think of in many years on the offensive side of the ball, probably since Dak Prescott. Absolutely, Dan. And he's only gets tougher this weekend when they say on Alabama in a game where I know that Alabama, unfortunately, doesn't have Jalen Waddle anymore. My goodness, I mean, that is going to be a game where Mississippi State, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I bother, you know, getting on the bus. I mean, it, it's just hard for anybody to have a chance against Alabama right now. Well, Joe, you got to think that factored into Colin Hill's decision as well. I mean, four games in, uh, you know, really, it doesn't make as much of a difference as a normal season would because normal season, you play four games you could actually leave then and preserve a year of eligibility. Well, this year, everyone gets a year of eligibility for free, so it doesn't really make a difference. To me, I think the fact that he had to play Alabama this week and he was looking at it as, I'm already not getting carries. If I get hurt for the for the team this year, what does it matter? We're bad. I'm not improving my draft stock. I don't want to get hurt against Alabama. I'm out. Yeah, that's probably what it is. And just combined by the fact that he and Mike Leach just didn't really – uh, Joe. Well, Joe, the last thing I want to ask on this is, do you think that it probably makes uh, people in Mississippi even more mad that Colin Hill before the season said that he wouldn't play unless they changed the state flag in Mississippi? They change it, and now he's getting out of the season anyway? Seems kind of interesting to me that that went down that way. Yeah, I'm sure there's definitely some people that are frustrated by that, um, but I do think that we're going to see a change to Flag, regardless, especially with the NCAA rule, they would no longer allow the state of Mississippi to host um, postseason events. I think they would have changed it anyway. I'm just saying that's a very interesting thing right there that I'm sure some people have thought about. Right. Uh, let's get over to the next uh, big uh, exit from the team. You talked about it just a second ago. So we had Colin Hill opting out of the season for Mississippi State. And then you have the tragic injury to Jalen Waddle. I mean, you and I talked about it with Jim Dunaway. I thought that Jalen Waddle was a fringe Heisman Trophy-worthy candidate because of his uh, kickoff return ability, in addition to being a really great wide receiver, kind of a Tyree Hill type. And I hated to see him go out like that because I- I've been blown away with him as a-, as a player. I mean, what he did last year to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, I've never seen someone do that. I'm glad it was in a losing effort, but still, like, it was an incredible uh, performance that he had. And he's probably the best kick returner that I've seen in many years in in college football. And it's just really sad that we're not going to get to see him the rest of the season. Because I read something interesting today, Joe, about where he was four games into the season. Um, Through four games, he'd already had 545 yards receiving. And the way they calculated it is if he had to 
same opportunities uh, in games as Amari Cooper did back when he broke the Alabama record of having 1,700 yards receiving. Jalen Waddle was on pace to get 1,800 yards receiving this year. He's off to a hot start, just an electrifying talent, great athlete, so fast, so much fun to watch. So just hate it for him. And it's really sad as a college football fan to be deprived of his talent the rest of the season because I really thought coming into the season that this Alabama roster is quietly one of the best offenses Nathan Saban has ever had in Tuscaloosa. And Mac Jones has been on fire this year. But fortunately for Alabama, they still have a slew of other weapons offensively. You have Devontae Smith, who has very similar numbers, numbers to um, Jalen Waddle. I think he's only one yard behind him on receiving yards. And then you have the emergence of John Mechie the third, who's been a very good freshman. And so they'll they'll be fine, but you know, you just you just hate that they won't they'll be playing without uh, Jalen not to mention the fact, Joe, that Jalen Waddle goes out and they get another guy randomly that goes out and gets over 150 yards against Tennessee and Slate Bolden. So it's just an embarrassment of riches right there in T-Town. And I think even without Waddle, it's going to be a long weekend for the Mississippi State faithful. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, Joe, let's, let's switch to uh, the other side of the state, Mississippi. We were talking about a long weekend. Uh, Auburn Ole Miss, I'm sure that was an extremely upsetting game for Ole Miss fans. Uh, you know, not just from the fact that there was a missed call at the end that, that may have uh, cost uh, Ole Miss the game, but also from the fact that the defense just couldn't even stop a very struggling Auburn offense over the previous few weeks. And the biggest one, Joe, that I want to talk about first before we get into uh, the controversial call at the end is Lane Kiffin's decision to not play Plumlee. And even when he took, you know, he, he took Corral out after the first interception in the red zone against Auburn, he barely gave uh, Plumlee a chance and basically fantasy vultured him when Corral got all the way, when Plumlee got him all the way down to the end zone, and then Corral goes in and scores the touchdown. Well, think about Matt Corral versus um, John Rice Plumlee. So, We've talked about it on the show repeatedly so far this season. I admit that with under Lane Kiffin, the first few weeks we saw the best version of Matt Corral we've ever seen. Last year he didn't look like this. He showed improvement. But the last couple of weeks, he's turning the ball over. And he's just not as efficient. And conversely, you have John Rice Plumley, who is one of the most talented, exciting players in college football. You know, not just the SEC. We saw what he did with his ability to run the football last year with over 1,000 rushing yards, I think 12 rushing touchdowns. And that was without only seven or eight starts. So you feel like we're depriving Ole Miss of their best athlete, sitting on the sideline, just wasting away. Matt Corral has a talented arm, but he's not as improvisational as Plumlee. You can't just, you know, expect him to do something that makes you just shake your head and just say, wow, you know, he, he, he turned nothing into something. If you're shaking your head with Matt Corral, it's probably because he threw an interception. <laughs> and I feel like with Plumlee, I know he struggles to throw the ball, but I feel like they can work on that better. They're not spending enough time developing him, and I just feel like there's no excuse to not be utilizing him in some form or fashion with this offense, whether it's quarterback, 
Joe, you could they could always use him the way that Florida used Percy Harvin uh, back when Urban Meyer won a national championship. Percy Harvin was a very decorated high school quarterback, and they were able to use him as a receiver, a kick returner, a running back. You just used your athlete all over the field, and they had him throw the ball every now and then too. And if they're not going to start Plumlee, which you and I are both on the camp that I think he should be the starting quarterback, you at least need to use them in some other way to get your offense moving. I mean, to me, what makes it even worse, Joe, is this isn't a team that can't run the football. I would understand the decision more to use only Matt Corral if you weren't able to run the ball and this was like a Hugh Freeze-like team. But with all of the running backs that Ole Miss has right now, they've got one of the best rushing attacks in the SEC with Jerry and Ely and Stu Connor. And if you add a third guy into it, it's almost like you're dealing with a Baltimore Ravens-style offense with Lamar Jackson, who, let's be honest, even now is not the best passer. And then, but he runs it so well, and you mix that with Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins, works out pretty good. And so, I mean, in my opinion, if you get Plumlee out there that's adding a third running back in, you get people – Get up on the run, nine, ten guys in the box. You have a chance to bust some long plays, especially with somebody's speedster like Elijah Ford. So I just don't get it. I feel like Kiffin is wasting a great opportunity to have a very unique offense that's much more difficult to defend than the offense he currently has. Oh, without a doubt, and you nailed it with the running backs. I mean, with Ewey and Connor, I mean, you've got just some great running backs and wide receivers, too. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of guys that Plumlee's not going to have to throw darts right at people. You've got great receivers that can, you know, make yards after the catch. And I've been very disappointed, Dan, with the utilization of a lot of the receivers, with the exception of Elijah Moore. We've seen after the first few weeks of the season where Moore was just putting up huge numbers, defenses have adjusted. They're double-teaming Elijah Moore, and they're trying to make other people beat them on defense. And what has happened to some of the receivers, and we have not seen as much of Jonathan Mingo last week. Um, Braylon Sanders is a senior on this roster. A couple of years ago, he was like an emerging SEC wide receiver, and you barely see him maybe get a catch every other game. Um, they're just not utilizing everybody in this offense. And I feel like things could be so much better if they were just taking advantage of all their playmakers. And it all starts with John Rice Plumley. Because he's the type of athlete that can have just the major effect on Ole Miss, kind of be an ambassador for the university, be the type of player that kids watching on TV would look up to growing up in pop order football. I mean, he would just have that hit factor. And sadly, they're just not taking advantage of that. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I don't want to get into personal things about it, but you want to look at a face of the program, Plumlee's a much better one than Corral is. Corral does not seem to be the best team player. Um, you know, he's gotten he's gotten into the face of the coaches last season. He's not very clutch. I mean, in games, he's now thrown seven interceptions. He's thrown eight interceptions in the last two games. That's eight. And, I mean, I was talking with an old Miss friend today who's, who's an attorney, and, I mean, he couldn't believe they didn't play Plumlee last game either. He's like six interceptions, and he stuck with this guy. And then he throws one on the first series of the next game, still stick with them. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense, Joe. And you're, you know, talking about a guy that's someone that's going to look up for Plumley. He's a great football player. He's a great baseball player. I think he's got like a 4.0 GPA. 
Oh, and by the way, Joe, let's put him in the Christian McCaffrey category. He's a concert pianist. You ever seen that guy play a piano and seen a video of him singing? It's unreal. I mean, the guy's just a renaissance man. Why wouldn't you want to, like, focus this guy and have your program about him? I just, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense at all, Dan. And that's one of the reasons, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about how they're excited about the trajectory of the program. And I still feel like, you know, long term, I'm excited about what he did as long as, you know, he can hopefully bring in um, really good recruits on defense. But I do question some of his in-game decisions. And, you know, if he's making uh, questionable decisions like this now, I just don't know if I trust him in close games going all right, great. Well, Joe, let's go to this close game that we had this past weekend. Uh, you know, there were some questionable decisions. I thought that the fake field goal by Lane Kiffin made no sense. Because my, my thing is, when a team gives you points, uh, that was, I believe, Auburn hit, uh, that was when they snapped the punt over the punter's head. And essentially, it turned into a turnover, and Ole Miss had first and 10 at the 25-yard line of Auburn. Even though they didn't get a first down, that's a free three points right there. It was easily within field goal range. And on fourth and four, he does the most obvious fake field goal I've ever seen. And every single player on Auburn's defense knew exactly what they were doing. And they lost two yards, and they just gave away three points in that game right there. Yeah, that was head-scratching as well, Dan, uh, no doubt. And I didn't like the mismanagement on the last drive of the game where they had just over a minute to go tie the game and go to overtime, and I felt like they didn't use their timeouts wisely. Um, they had a timeout still in their back pocket um, when the final whistle blew um, as they wasted about 13 to 15 seconds after picking up a first down. Corral was over there looking at the sidelines when the clock was running, and that just was senseless to me because this is an offense I thought that they practiced the hurry up. They're known as a tempo offense. If this is the kind of offense they run anyway, why would they of all people having any issues, you know, getting lined up and moving the ball down the field? So just all that was mismanaged and, and that, that concerned me. Yeah, Joe, and I wanna talk as, as an Auburn fan about, you know, everyone getting so upset uh, about the call where Sean Shivers I mean he did, he touched the football right there after he saw a few replays. Now, I will say the first couple ones I saw, it did not look like he hit his hand. It wasn't until about the third image that they showed where it looked like he did hit his finger on the on the kickoff return. They got fumbled, and the old miss player recovered in the end zone. And they probably they definitely should have reviewed it, and I think they moved past it too quick. But one thing that I think has gotten completely shoved under the rug with us is that it kind of evened out the fact they didn't call that because Tank Bigsby had a kickoff return for a touchdown where they threw probably the most ridiculous holding penalty I've ever seen in my entire life, that literally all the announcers were saying, I don't understand how anyone in their right mind can call, call holding on that. And it was like 25 yards behind the play. It made no difference. And so my thing is, it, right now, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you think that means that you should have won, then that's ridiculous because it evened it out. Well, I mean, the thing that people don't focus on with a controversial call or no call happens in a game a lot of those calls didn't happen late in games that we focus on. So people don't look at what transpired earlier in the game, the missed opportunities, bad calls then, that in the long run really have a lot of times just as much or more to do with the game than something that happens in the more memorable final, final minutes. I think you know the biggest issue I had with the 
college football and in the NFL, where I feel like everybody watching the game on TV, including the announcers, so many times knows what the call should be, but it's like the people that are supposed to make the decision just seem clueless. And I feel like the officials need to do a better job. Oh, definitely, Jeremy. There's no reason they shouldn't have stopped it and taken a look at that. I mean, it was definitely close enough, even on first glance, you could tell that you should look at it a little bit more. And I, I can't believe that they, they didn't stop it and that they told Lane Kiffin, essentially, that they didn't even think it was worth looking at, and that's why they didn't do it. Well, I mean, you do. You stop the, you stop the game all times for, like, different plays. So, I mean, to me, they definitely had enough time to do it. It was an important enough play that they should have stopped the game on it. But, you know, like I said, I feel like the, there was one that was missed earlier, and so maybe they were just trying to even things out. And, you know, and then going back to this, you know, apparently there's this conspiracy now that the officials are trying to keep Auburn good so that maybe at the end of the season Alabama gets a win over another good team, and if they lose to somebody in the SEC championship game, it'll get them in. But, you know, my thing is we have had three calls – some points a game to have helped us out, but yet again, there's just a, there's other ones that, are, that also bring you down. I mean, that same Kentucky game, they talked about how the guy scored, which he did, but the next play, they called back a touchdown on a pick six for Auburn for a blindside block that the guy barely even tapped on. So I feel like they went ahead and took care of that one on the next play. And then in South Carolina, they called three pass interferences on South Carolina's last touchdown drive that were all highly questionable. And so I'm just, and then if you want to go to Arkansas, the Auburn kicker missed the field goal before that, which would have made the one later not matter. So I just feel like when someone looks at something like that and says it dictates the whole game, that's just a very narrow aspect and viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, people overlook, or not overlook, they overemphasize moments like that in games. I mean, it honestly happens to every team. I think just people are latching on to this because of the. Uh, kind of the coincidence of it being, you know, a couple of big moments for Auburn so far in the young season. Yeah. Well, I think so, too. Um, Joe, speaking of a big moment that failed, um, you know, Ole Miss had a chance to progress forward, you know, get a big signature win for Lincoln that didn't happen. But they didn't fall as flat, a far flat on their face as Tennessee did. Uh, what's happened the last three weeks in Tennessee is nothing short of embarrassing. Of course, they have a lead going into halftime against Georgia. Georgia like outscores them like thirty to nothing in the second half. Then they go out and they throw was it five interceptions against Kentucky, two pick sixes. They get beat down by a Wildcats team that was really struggling. And then Joe last weekend, I mean that was one of the most uncompetitive Alabama Tennessee games I've seen. And sadly, it's just been the way it's been for them lately against Alabama. And you know, it brings me to a question. Are they really that much better off with Jeremy Pruitt? I know everyone's trying to build up the program, but I, I honestly, Joe, I don't see a difference. Well, it's difficult to say, Dan. Um, I think, like, to your point, the fact that it's not just they're losing, but they're just getting demolished is the concerning point. And even more than the Alabama game, uh, the Kentucky game week four, losing 34 to 7, that, that's very concerning. Uh, this is a Tennessee team that had dominated that rivalry over the last 30 years. I talked about it on the show last week that um, from like 1980 until I think 2010, 2011, Tennessee beat um, Kentucky every year. Like they, they never lost to them. And so 
sure you know they've tried to find better coaches, but it seems like some of the bigger names are just never really interested in, in them. So I'm just not really sure if they can find a better coach at this uh, point. Well, that's a good point, Joe. I mean, I think it's just going to be important to see how he finishes out the season. I think that the games against uh, against teams like Auburn and uh, I'm trying to think who else they have. I think they have Arkansas this weekend. Not this weekend, but coming up. They're going to they're gonna beat some of these like, middle-level teams to get themselves up to the next level of the SEC, I think, for Tennessee fans considering the season of success. Oh, without a doubt. All right, Joe. Well, you know, moving on to a different subject, I think we'll start the next podcast and we'll talk a little bit about the Big Ten's opening weekend. They had a really fantastic opening weekend of college football. A little bit of surprises and then some kind of football credos that you and I have talked about that I think could uh, affect the way people play games in the future. Um, I want to thank all of the listeners that we've had. Uh, and remind you that we uploaded everything on Spotify. If you look up the Dean and Joe Sports Show, all of our shows are uploaded on Spotify. You can also like our fan page, the Dean and Joe Sports Show fan page. And usually you watch us at 9 p.m. on Wednesday nights, but due to the 500 hurricane we've had this year, come to the Gulf Coast, uh, we had to move it up a little bit. And uh, that was also, we missed out on having uh, our guest uh, Stingray Pete Hopkins on um, because of the storm-related issues. But we're going to have him on at some point and we'll let our listeners when we have him on. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.